0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Close Readings podcast. I'm your host, Kamran Javadizadeh, and I'm very pleased today to have Lindsay Turner on the podcast to talk about one of my most favorite poems of all time, Elizabeth Bishop's poem, The Shampoo. Um, Lindsay is um, someone I've admired for... um, a long time. She is, I think this is probably true unless the other guests so far that we've had have been holding out on me. This would be the first time we've had um, not only a scholar and a critic as our guest, but also a poet. Um, Lindsay's uh, a wonderful poet herself. she's also a translator. Um, And I think both of those perspectives are ones that I'm really eager to take advantage of and um, learn from. In the conversation that we have today so let me tell you a little bit about lindsay and then we'll um we'll move on um into the into the episode uh, lindsay is the author of um the book songs and ballads which came out which is a book of poems which came out from prelude books in 2018 and a chat book called a fortnight which is i think forthcoming uh from double cross press um in in other exciting news her second book of poetry, proper, um, uh, you know, longer book of poetry, is called um, The Upstate, and that's forthcoming from the University of Chicago Press's Phoenix Poets series in fall 2023. Um, Lindsay's the translator of too many books for me to list, um, but a translator from the French, um, primarily, exclusively? Exclusively, um, but, yeah. Okay. Um, but that includes translations both of poetry and of philosophy and probably of other things besides. Um, you can find her essays in places like um, the ASAP Journal, in Lana Turner, in LARB, in Kenyan Review, Boston Review, Yale Review, The Atlantic, and you can find her Poem is in similar kinds of places, sometimes the same places, um, but the New York Review of Books I saw Lindsay's recently, which I really loved, the Yale Review, um, The Atlantic, uh, places like this. Um, and I I just have to say, I mean, I I I noted this at the top, but I, I want to emphasize it again here. Um that one of the reasons why I was so eager to have Lindsay on the podcast today was because I think you really hear I mean, even when what she's doing is criticism, you hear the kind of sensitivity of ear and um, attention to um, nuance of language that I think comes from being a poet and a translator. So that I remember, for instance, um, an essay of hers I really loved. I think it was in *LARB* and on the poet Charles Wright. um, And on the idea of having an accent, in poetry, and on what that signals regionally and culturally, linguistically, and in terms of one's soul, um, and um, well, I just really admired that essay. I'll put a link to that essay in the show notes, and and to many of the other things that I've described so far. Remember also um, that in the show notes, you'll be able to get access to the text of the poem if you'd like to look at it as we talk about it, um, and other things that happen to come up in the course of the conversation, I will make available to you that way. Um, I've also been, as I've been putting episodes out so far, I've been writing uh, newsletter uh, posts that are pretty brief, but that also contains some reflections uh, from me on the episode and some more links and things like that that people might find useful. So um, a link to the newsletter will also appear in the show notes, whether you get this on apple or spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and i guess the last thing i would say podcast business wise is to remember to um follow the the podcast on whatever podcast service you use and leave a rating or review if you like what you hear i really appreciate it um but with with that said um lindsey turner welcome to close readings how are you doing today
1: I'm great. Oh, I'm great. I'm so thrilled to be on this. Um, and thank you for like I'm I'm sort of glad this isn't video because you could probably like see me blushing. But um thanks uh, for that really uh, lovely introduction. I'm just um this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast and I'm I'm so glad. I'm so yeah. glad this it exists. It's a wonderful way to like start the to start the new year.
0: I know. Well, I mean it's I'm it's honestly it's just doing this series of conversations has been such um a kind of selfish pleasure for me and then there has been the um the the incredibly gratifying um and not at all expected necessarily uh, pleasure of seeing that other people like to listen and um and you and the guests like to talk to me it, it sounds like so <laughs> it's it's all to the good and w- what could be better than talking about um a poem as beautiful as the one we have in front of us today um so um so this is a short poem, and I think it's short enough that we might get to hear it more than once in its entirety during our episode today. But for the for the first reading, um, I really would be so grateful, Lindsay, if you would read the shampoo to us so that it's fresh on everyone's mind. Of
1: course, I'd love to. Thanks. The shampoo. The still explosions on the rocks. The lichens grow by spreading. Gray concentric shocks. They have arranged to meet the rings around the moon, although within our memories they have not changed. And since the heavens will attend as long on us, you've been, dear friend, precipitate and pragmatical, and look what happens, for time is nothing if not amenable. The shooting stars in your black hair, in bright formation, are flocking where so straight so soon come let me wash it in this big tin basin battered and shiny like the moon
0: well thank you very much Lindsay. i love hearing it um i i think i have um i sometimes share this poem on twitter and i think that what i say about it often is that it's um not just one of my favorite poems but maybe my favorite love poem Uh and um I wonder, well, like having just read it out loud um, and I'm thinking uh, back to the very first conversation I had in the series with Brian Glavy about Frank O'Hara's poem, Having a Coke With You, which was also kind of a love poem. um, What you noticed about the form of address that the poem Mm -hmm. is. Um, I mean, there is a you in the poem. We don't get it right away. There are some other pronouns that indicate kinds of relationality. Um, Does it feel right to you to describe this as a love poem? And um, if the answer to that is a little complicated, would you share some of what makes it feel complicated to you? Sure,
1: sure. Yeah. Um, I was also it's interesting I was also I was listening to your conversation with Brian and thinking about this as a love poem and it's such a different kind of love poem than O'Hara's love poem because it's such a weird oblique sideways love poem Um, like typically Mm -hmm. for Bishop right she's not Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's what I love about her is she's um, at once so simple and and so complex. Like I think, and I she's think what not I love- as,
0: she's not as frank as Frank, right?
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> um, I guess when I mean I love so much about this poem um, and Bishop in general. Like I, I, um, it's hard for me to talk about her without just evolving into like this is so great. Um, mm-hmm. But what I love about this is a love poem is that it. On the one hand it's a very simple small quiet um you know beautiful contained poem um, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: about washing someone's hair um in this this big tin basin there's such a a a concrete act of love Mm -hmm. in it um you know asking someone um asking someone if you can wash their hair, it's just, you know, it's like, it's erotic, but it's also just like kind and beautiful and, and, um, in, and, and simple, um, and fundamental. Um, on the other hand, what makes it really complicated as a love poem or as any kind of poem and what I, what draws me to it every time is just the complexity of the images in the poem Mm -hmm. and everything else that's going on in this love poem. And that I think has to do with the kind of love poem it is. But um, for example, like we think of Bishop as as a poet of description and sometimes straightforward and simple description as she is in like at the fish houses, which is sometimes my favorite Bishop poem, although not always, sometimes this one is. Um, But like in this poem, all of the images are um, are so many of the images like are about the moon and shooting stars
2: mm-hmm.
1: and things in the sky. But everything that is actually in the poem is a person and gray hairs and lichen um, and and it just it sort of is is mind boggling and complicated to me that 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 in this poem that is about looking very closely, looking almost down very closely at things, at a lover's hair and the gray in it, or at the lichens on the rocks, somehow, those things are described in terms of looking up, like at shooting stars and the moon. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, and then, you know, the the way stasis and motion work in this poem, all of these things that are,
0: yeah.
1: um, that are just like yeah, mind-bogglingly complex. Um, right. And the the way this poem manages to be like a very still, simple, small poem, and this kind of cosmic. Um, poem full of motion going in all different directions at once the way it does both of that, I think is like, is really, really interesting to me.
0: Oh yeah. Well, you've put your finger on one of the things that I love most about Bishop, which is right. The sort of, um, marrying that, that may be the wrong word, but of, um, close attention to the very local with this, um, imaginative or kind of surreal, um, fancy, um, which we get in, in almost in, in indeed in every one of the three stanzas of this poem. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's useful to say again, to people who aren't looking at the text. So this is a poem that's written in three stanzas, each of six lines, and, um, maybe you could hear it in Lindsay's lovely reading, but there is a, a rhyme scheme that's consistent throughout the poem. And I've discovered when I've taught the poem to students that sometimes they miss the the rhyme scheme altogether. It's it's subtle, but it's um, it's consistent and and there. Were you going to say something about rhyme, Lindsay?
1: I was, I was because I also, um, you know, I sometimes and this happens with Bishop. Sometimes I'll go back to some of her poems, having forgotten about the rhyme because. Um, Bishop's rhyme is often um, very, very present and very subtle at the same time, um, and and this you know this is a really really complex rhyme scheme. Yeah. Um, it's a, a weird interlocking rhyme scheme. I think of Bishop's own making. Um, yeah. But uh, it's not super audible um and it doesn't structure the rhythm of the lines in the way you'd expect um so i was telling you i tried to memorize i did memorize this poem because Uh i wanted to have it like rattling around in my head for a few days before i was going to talk to you so that i could yeah. Think about it all the time. Um, <laughs> and uh and it was harder to memorize than I thought because um because the line breaks and the rhymes don't occur rhythmically or in time, um in the time of the poem, the way the the at the places you think they will. Um
0: yeah, I, I sort of charted it out um just before our conversation today so that I could make sure that what I remembered as though by intuition or something about the poem was in fact true. And um, yeah, you're right. So the rhyme is interlocking. It's this kind of A B A, and then C B C. For people who um, have ever read Dante, it occurs to me that it's like two stanzas of terza rima, with a sort of uh, where you have a a line, two lines that rhyme with a line that doesn't rhyme in between, and then that the sound that that other line had introduced becomes the rhyming sound in the next three lines. So maybe there, that's somewhere in the background here. But I also try to scan the lines, and the meter is, um, you think it's going to be more regular than it turns out to be, actually. There there are interesting variations on meter, and maybe we can come back to some of that. But I want to zoom back all, all the way out and just to something else you said uh, a while ago when I asked you if this was a love poem, and you said that it seemed you know, much more oblique than what we get in O'Hara. And yeah, no doubt that's true. Um, Well, for one thing, its obliqueness has presumably at least something to do with queerness, right? Um, With Bishop's own uh, way of negotiating what it would mean to be a public figure and a lesbian, um, sort of wanting to write a love poem but not wanting that poem to out herself in a way that would have made her uncomfortable um, O'Hara has his own kind of negotiation of closetedness right in and 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 though Bishop was uh, older than O'Hara of course they're contemporary um, to each other they're writing poems at the same time and and more or less within the same sort of culture though they have their own subcultures that they occupy um, fair to say as a generalization that Bishop would have been less comfortable than O'Hara being out or outed. Right. So, um, so maybe that explains some of what comes across as sort of circumspect about the poem. Yeah. She calls her lover, her friend, for instance.
1: Absolutely. And I, um, it's with Bishop, I I struggle a little bit because the poems seem at once to um invite and to resist reading um any of the any of the biography back into them Um, and so it's sort of true that this poem um becomes um you know takes a lot of its meaning from you knowing um about bishop's relationship with lota um Mm -hmm. who in fact i was just looking um around in megan marshall's biography of bishop i guess you know lota had um like two very uh Pronounced like white streaks in her hair. Yeah. Um, um, so that, you know the shooting stars aren't just at first. I thought they might just be like gray, you know, individual gray hairs, but I think they're they're actually um, bigger, um, wider streaks of hair. The in the yeah. the um the idea of you know of a woman washing a woman's another woman's hair, um, you know, it, it goes from <laughs> like a um uh an image it, it becomes um i think when you when you know about her relationship it yeah it becomes a more erotic image it, it, mm. it because that on the surface that could be you know a mother washing a child's hair or mm. someone's hair being washed in a beauty salon or, or whatever um
0: right. a child with, washing a mother's hair a maybe a child
1: washing your, a mother's hair yeah. and it would still you know in in those contexts like i think bishop wants you to be able to read it as um as a as a poem that could as a gesture at the end of a poem that could be about many different kinds of love, right? It could be yeah. about um, a, a child, an adult child watching, washing an aging mother's hair, right? Thinking about yeah, yeah. the gray in it. There are so many ways you could read it, but when you know the biography, then it becomes, um, I think, more a little bit more powerful and more supercharged, and um,
0: mm.
1: and more of a really remarkable poem about um, about a relationship.
0: Yeah. Um, terrific. So maybe we don't need to say much more than that. Ab- I mean, unless you want to, Lindsay, uh, about um, biographical context here. Um, maybe things will come up, but actually what I'm sort of eager to do is to um, jump back in now to some of the images in the poem and um, and maybe we can begin with its first stanza. And, you know, there I'm noticing... Like right away, the first line, the still explosions on the rocks, um, still explosion is a, an interestingly paradoxical phrase. Um, the the lichens um, and the way they grow and the kind of ambiguous thing that a lichen is, you know, mm-hmm. um, the kind of organism that it is, that seems interesting to me. So what, what, are, what are you noticing there? I know you said something earlier about kind of stillness and motion, but... Um, what do you make of still explosions as a, as a place to begin?
1: It's um, yeah, it, it really, um, as you just said, it really kind of encapsulates this, um, you know, I want to say tension that's, that's sort of a silly word, but um, this dynamic of, of things mm. that are, that are going places, but also staying in the same place. Um, uh, mm. And it's also um, it's a, it's a, it's an opening that asks us um, well, when we, when when the poem starts starts off the shampoo, right, and then the still mm. explosions on the rocks, um, mm. like that that's that's jarring and that's disorienting. I've been teaching poetry workshops, um, you know, for a while, and so um, I talk a lot with students who are who are trying to write poems. Or so I think about this um, when you're writing poems: how do you orient your reader at the beginning of the poem? And yeah. those are two very, very disorienting. The shampoo. How do you get from the shampoo to the still explosions on the rocks? Like, what does that even mean? The still explosions on the rocks. But then we get the lichens, um, and oh. so very quickly, because Bishop um, Bishop is not often a disorienting poet. I think she takes great care to orient us, um, to orient the reader oh. um, visually, especially, um, and 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 it all. And because um, because that that metaphor or whatever uh, that, um, is like what a lichen looks like, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. a, a firework, like arrested in it's, in it's like, um, whatever, and it's exploding. Um, yeah. it's and visual- in fact, if
0: anything, it's, it's stasis is what the illusion is, right. It's just mm-hmm. that our, our, um, it's a question of scales of time, right. That mm-hmm. we, we can't see that it's growing, um, exactly. Over time that it has grown. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Um, yeah, that's so interesting what you say about Bishop being a poet who likes to orient her reader, who's sort of careful to do that. That sounds exactly right to me.
1: I think it's it true in all of her poems, but I think in many of, the one of her yeah. poems it
0: is. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess what I would say about it is that often she seems to me like a poet who wants to begin that way and then sort of earn her way towards disorienting us later (laughs)
2: Um,
0: but that she's very patient about that you know that poem that you mentioned earlier at the fish houses I think works that way where at the beginning it really does seem like we are trying to be put hospitably into a setting into a scene that we're invited to imagine but by the end of the poem it, it, it like there's crazy stuff going on
2: yeah yeah
0: um and, um, how she gets from point A to point b is often what's so interesting about her as a poet,
1: absolutely. I mean, in this poem is you know is is a this goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning about the way it seems like a simple thing, and it's actually a very complex thing, but um
2: mm.
1: like um, you know, even. In the first, the first three lines, the still explosions yeah. on the rocks, the lichens grow by spreading gray concentric shocks. Like there's so much um, complexity in that, even though it's just a very, very simple description of, of, as you said, what a lichen is and how it moves and how it grows, which is um, something that looks to us like stasis, but is actually um, growing by spreading. And I, right. I, I wonder, I'm curious about how you read... Um, I've been thinking a lot. This is what happens when you memorize a poem. Um, you try, mm. like I'm trying to memorize where the commas go, and yeah. and I got stuck. Like I think when I was trying to sleep last night, thinking about um, that comma between spreading and gray, and and whether it's that they grow by spreading,
0: right, um,
1: or they grow by spreading gray concentric shocks, <laughs>
0: right? Are spreading um, are spreading? I mean, the comma makes it seem like spreading. Gray and concentric are a series of three adjectives, all modifying shocks.
1: I think you could, I think you could read it that way, or you could read it as grow by spreading, and then gray concentric right. shocks. But
0: then what's gray yeah. concentric shocks do? Yeah, no, I, I no. see what I see what you're saying. Um, I I have a question that might focus our attention. I mean, without taking us away from those lines, which I absolutely love, might sort of focus our attention on those lines in a slightly different way. So, I mean, you said that it's disorienting to have a poem called the shampoo that then begins with the phrase, the still explosions on the rocks. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it is, it it would also be disorienting, I think, under whatever ordinary circumstances one wants to imagine to say that, well, this is a love poem that begins with a description of lichens. Uh Um, I don't know, rather than roses or something else. So, um, there i mean there's no um there's no uh explicit attempt made here to say that at least in w- within the first three lines there's no explicit attempt to, made to say that our love is like this or has been like this but do you think that there's the suggestion that like that's the kind of relationship that, that our relationship the 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 speaker of the poem and the and the you who's being addressed here have something going on that's that grows in the manner of lichens, yeah. um, and if so, does would that help to explain or maybe explains the wrong word, but um, illuminate some of what seems paradoxical about, and interesting to you about those lines?
1: I think it. I think it does. Um, I, I think that. Um, you know, this poem was written. Bishop was. Uh, let's see. It was published in a cold spring in 1955. So Bishop mm. was um, probably in her 40s when she was when she was writing this poem. Um, and it it feels to me that it's very much about time and aging and the way relationships change over time, um, which is um, often or, or can be. Um, Slowly and almost imperceptibly, and um, it seems, you know, th- that that line, although within our memories they have not changed, um, is the first mm-hmm. time the "us" comes into the poem, or the first time we get a hint of a of the relationship this poem is about. Um, and what we know is, you know, is that this um, this relationship is one that lasts, um, that has lasted. Um, I'm not sure how long they had been together at this point. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, it, it wouldn't have been very long. No, but I don't it, think so. But it, interestingly, it might have felt like it. I mean, Bishop went to Brazil in 1951, mm-hmm, um, yeah. and I don't know exactly when the shampoo was written. But you're right that it comes out in her second book, which was published only a few years later, and um, and it would not be until the next book that the questions of travel that the that the whole book would be dedicated to Lota. Right. right? So here, I mean, it's interesting because it seems like on the one hand, yeah, this is very much a poem about, I mean, I don't want to make it sound depressing, but it is what it is. Like middle-aged love. Yeah. Oh,
1: it absolutely is. This is why why I like
0: it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think. Um, So, but the other thing is that um, maybe it's about middle-aged love. That's also new love in a way Mm -hmm. or, um, and, and there's a kind of paradox in that, like a, a kind of fresh love that comes at a moment in life that on its own doesn't feel fresh or new or mm-hmm, young
2: mm-hmm, you know
1: mm-hmm. uh, I th- think that that fits with the, with the um with the the kind of general general idea that is in, that runs um throughout so many of the images in this poem of mm-hmm. of um of a, a you know this kind of like excitement or um energy or eroticism in the in like the the very ordinary or the or what looks like a static kind of boring moment of life or something like that
0: right so then the idea is that like um if we're looking at the lichens growing on the rocks you know behind this beautiful house that um bishop and Lotta shared in brazil that we that that's an ordinary thing to look at Um, nothing could be more um Grounded in a way than that literally, but the the um, second half of the first stanza suggests that the very ordinary literally imperceptible growth that we're witnessing there has a kind of extraordinary reach that that there's some um, celestial Kind of ambition that's encoded in the, you know, minute day by day growth of these lichens.
1: Completely, which is the same, I think, the same motion, the same trajectory that's in the shooting stars in your black hair, right? the gray hair yeah. has been turned into into you know the the um, kind of uh, beautiful, miraculous, ephemeral. Um, yeah. Organized. This is a poem about organization too, right? In bright formation, oh. gray concentric shocks. The way things. Um, organize themselves in these kind of celestial patterns um even though they seem um you know you could read like lichens and gray hair as as kinds of signs of disorder and
0: and um Uh entropy
1: uh, yeah entropy that's the word yeah
0: um so uh we i don't often think of um organization and erotic love together (laughs) is there some implication that the kind of love this poem is describing has something to do with a certain kind of organization and i mean is that a, oh, a useful thought for you
1: i hadn't thought of that i hadn't thought of that at all um now i'm thinking about uh you know come let me wash it in this big tin basin battered and shiny like the moon yeah, like there's um yeah. I don't know if "order" is the right word. There's a sense of routine there, of you know, yeah. cleanliness. This isn't. Uh, this is like a an and ritual. Also, yeah. um, I love and one like I I think maybe my favorite part of the poem is the like diactic. This like this big tin basin like yeah. it's right here. Um, mm. and there's there's something also satisfyingly material about having that everyday object like to hand.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, it feels like things at the end of this poem are like in their right places.
0: <laughs> well, let's come back yeah. to the end of this poem because I yeah, don't want yes, so to skip over the second that. stanza of the poem, which in a way seems like where um, abstraction happens. It um, is. You know, like, okay. So I'll let me just, so that it's fresh, I'm just going to reread the second stanza of the poem. Okay. And since the heavens will attend as long on us, you've been, dear friend, precipitate and pragmatical. And look what happens. For time is nothing, if not amenable. Um, I don't know. We could start with the last sentence there for time is nothing, if not amenable and work backwards, or, or maybe um, works our way into that stanza in some other way. But um, I guess what I'm noticing and have always noticed about that stanza is that on the one hand, it sounds right. And on the other, like, I'm not sure I know what it means. Um, Yeah. So what do you think?
1: Because, Well, I was going to ask you actually. Uh, Um, I I I, follow. So, okay. And since the heavens will attend as long on us, like I, um, mm -hmm. I think that sort of makes sense. Like there's a sense um, and this makes sense also at, at the, it, with the kind of relationship that I think Bishop is describing in this poem, you know, the, the feeling of like, um we have time, right? um this is maybe this is an un kind of an uncarpe diem poem right um, that's
2: beautiful. yeah we have
1: um we have time and and we have space. um and there's that's a, a kind of a nice a nice feeling. Um, but then
2: yeah.
1: I'm not sure and I I looked. I've looked up a few times, like precipitate and pragmatical, and I've been trying to figure out whether they stand in parallel or in opposition. Um,
0: Yeah. So, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh well, because precipitate means could mean like decisive or quick Mm -hmm. to act, and pragmatical, um, you know, wise. um, What is it? Practical. I'm, I'm not sure what to do it sounds right like you said mm-hmm. um yeah I willing to say like this is a description of this person who is both precipitate and pragmatical um both uh um they're both they're both oriented towards the kind of action that this person takes um I don't know what right. do you think
0: well, there's a kind of logical um, relation that's implied by the structure of the um, sorry, I, I sound, what could sound more dry than using grammatical phrases like this, but anyway, b- by the independent clause that comes in the first four lines of that second stanza, so where we that end with the word pragmatical, where we get a semicolon, right? But mm-hmm. the idea is, and since the heavens will attend as long on us you've been as though as though it's because of the what you described in so beautifully a moment ago as the idea of we have time or mm-hmm. um this is the anti-carpe diem poem mm-hmm. right and for so, sorry for those who don't know the the carpe diem, the kind of logic of the carpe diem poem tends to be we're running out of time. We're going to die. Therefore, you should sleep with me. Is the is the way the, the sort of charming poems of seduction? Yeah, Andrew, to work. Novels, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's a that's a bad and overly simplistic reading of an interesting trope. But but anyway, that's the general idea. So here, the idea is we have time. Although I don't know, since the heavens will attend as long on us. Um, Clearly, Bishop and Loda don't have all the time in the world, but there is this idea that f- that from the celestial point of view um they do somehow or mm-hmm. anyway but it's it's in any way it's because of that or in recognition of that fact that the dear friend, and just for simplicity's sake, let's call her Loda here
2: mm-hmm.
0: has been precipitate. And pragmatical, I so see. you because we've because you've had the good sense to to note that we have that heaven will wait for us. You've taken action, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know. Although those things don't quite hang together, you know they, the 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 um, the logic of that isn't abundantly clear to me.
1: It's it also depends on how you read. And look what happens, right? You could yeah. read it as something, and 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 you know, knowing what we know about Bishop, and and knowing in general the tone of her poems and the way she seems to see the world, it, it's easy to, I think, read and look what happens as a as a as a statement of disappointment, or at least of,
2: mm.
1: as a kind of wry acknowledgement of the way things are. And yet, um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to suggest um, that this poem is about. Um, is, is like really, really all in, in its love poem-ness. And what happens here? We are like here, here I am, like writing this, um, writing this queer love poem in which I, in which I command the you in the poem to come, um, mm. and let me wash their hair. Right. Um, yeah.
0: And in, and in which we are a we and an, and in an we hour. Are right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Look what happens might mean, um, and look, here we are together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Look what happens might be. Look, we've gotten old in look, a couple. And look what couple of we, years.
1: Like, Yeah, and and that's you know, and that also for time is nothing if not amenable.
0: Yeah, talk about that sentence, please. What, what, thoughts, <laughs> what thoughts do you, so, And so, it's worth saying also again for people who aren't looking. So that's the sentence that comes in sort of the second half of the fifth line, and then the sixth and final line of the second stanza for time is, is is where the line break is. And the word time is capitalized, which is an unusual thing, I think, for Bishop to do, to, to mm-hmm. um, make a, a noun um, substantive in that way or abstract in that way. So what does it mean? I mean, so to be amenable means to be what? Um, agreeable, yeah, agreeable or to be changeable, yeah. um, accommodating? Uh, um,
1: it's so interesting. I mean, yeah. That where the way the way that line break is um for time for time with a capital t for time is nothing if not amenable Mm -hmm. um i was just thinking i hadn't thought of this before but just now i've been thinking of that line in some kind of relationship to um to Auden's. uh i walked out one evening right Mm -hmm. um where where there's a uh Oh, time! does time you.
0: You cannot deceive time. Yeah. You, uh,
1: you cannot conquer. Isn't it? You, you cannot conquer. conquer. Cannot yeah. you cannot conquer time? Um, mm. And here's Bishop using time for a capital T and breaking the line on nothing. For time is nothing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: if not amenable. Um, and yeah. it does feel a little bit, at least in relation to that poem, like a like a conquer time moment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I wonder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So is, is it that, or is it that like time will go along with whatever plans silly humans make or Mm -hmm. time will say, okay, I've seen that you've done this and you know, your today will slip into a yesterday all the same. I'll go along with that.
1: (laughs) Oh, what kind? And, and. And there's something about about time scales here, too, right? That Mm. takes us back up to the lichens. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Time, you know, time will, a certain kind of time will permit the lichens, you know, uh, a time that is not human time is going to let the lichens coincide with the moon. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Although that's not a time within our memories. They have not changed and probably will not change, right? Um, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so I, there's there's something about the way time is, time is relative, or time is, um, time is flexible, mm-hmm. or time um, time isn't as straightforward and linear as we thought it was uh, when we think about it from the point of view of lichens and the moon.
0: Right. We have these different timescales that are vast in their difference. So the timescale of a human life or smaller than that, even the timescale of a mm-hmm. relationship within a human mm-hmm. life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but then we have um, these sort of um, the time scale by which lichens grow and spread over rocks, which is longer than that. Presumably, I guess I don't actually know what the really. time timescale is. Um, it seems that way anyway. Um, but then, of course, there's the much vaster and more cosmic kind of timescale of um, the orbit of the moon around the earth and of the solar system and the, the heavens, quote unquote. Um, but maybe the idea that's introduced up in the first stanza is that. Um, th- though they are vastly different, those timescales are somehow concentric, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that you have a small one at the center and then in rings that grow around it, these larger timescales that sort of include the smaller ones and share a geometry with them somehow, I but think... are but are on a vastly different scale.
1: That seems right. That seems yeah. right to me. <laughs> I, um, I, I've said this before. I often... Um, it's, I, it like, I don't, when I'm writing poems or when I'm reading poems, um, I tend not to, I'd rather think about space than time. (laughs)
2: Um, and I,
1: I find it really, really hard to think abstractly about time. Um, and here we are with Bishop, like coming up with, you know, theories of time, but she asks us to, this poem is sort of asking us to go, it's so interesting also that it, that the poem, um, that this third stanza exists, right? That she takes us from the lichen, so that it's like kind of sandwiched this, this like a very, very abstract stanza um, that's making some very, very complex arguments, whatever they are about the nature of time itself and human time and, and the time of the natural world and the time of a relationship. Um, Mm. That that's, that that kind of thinking is sandwiched here in the middle of this, um, you know, of this very concrete love poem.
0: Yeah. Um, and Lots. I wanted to, yeah. Go ahead, please.
1: No, I wanted to bring this in. So I was just, I said I was just looking at the biography and I just want. I wanted to like, um, I've sort of been dying to talk about, dying to say this, but so um, apparently Bishop sent this poem to the New Yorker um, and it came mm-hmm. back because uh, Catherine White said, this is the sort of small personal poem that doesn't quite fit into the New Yorker. Um, yeah and then she sent it to poetry. Uh, and she, she said to someone like, um, oh, that's the biographer who says, uh, Bishop says, I thought it was easy enough to understand. And the biographer says too easy perhaps. Um, uh, and I read that and I thought, I don't think this poem is easy at all.
0: <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> like think it's easy. Is, is, um, is
1: mm-hmm. really hard.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. It is really hard. Uh, yeah. And it's fascinating and, um, instructive and, um, useful, I think, for poets out there to know, right, this poem got turned down by by The New Yorker, um, where Bishop- by
1: The New Yorker and poetry, and poetry said something like we never- Marion, uh, Carl Shapiro said, I never thought I'd see the day when we would reject a poem of yours, but we do so daringly today.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shocking decision. So um, so sometimes the the, the even the, the very good editors don't get it right. Um, it was so interesting to, for me to hear you say that in your own poems you're um you much prefer to think spatially um than temporally or to think about space than about time. And I and I'm sort of tempted to ask you to say more about that even in your own poems but maybe we can uh, apply that uh awareness that you bring um to this poem in which it seems often like time is measured spatially right so Mm -hmm. the passage of time is measured by the growing concentric circles of the lichens right or is measured by the the uh, growing streaks of gray in someone's hair um let's um well i was gonna say um Maybe we should read the third stanza again. But actually, maybe now is a good time to listen to the whole poem one more time, including that third stanza. But we have a surprise for you today, <laughs> which is that um, for um, I I I found um, a recording not of Bishop reading the poem, um, sadly, but um, but instead of a of a poet who was Bishop's um, very good friend reading the poem. Um, on the occasion of a memorial for Bishop in I think it was nineteen ninety three in Key West, so you're about to hear the poet James Merrill read the shampoo. This was a poem that he loved, and that he wrote a kind of homage to so people who are curious about that um I'll put a link to the poem that Merrill wrote, sort of modeled on and borrowing a rhyme scheme and and set of thematic concerns, let's say, from The Shampoo, a poem of Merrill's called The Kimono. Um, but let's listen to Merrill read the poem. And then, Lindsay, we can talk about the third and final stanza as a way to end. OK, here's Merrill. Shampoo.
3: The still explosions on the rocks, the lichens, grow by spreading gray concentric shocks. They have arranged to meet the rings around the moon, although within our memories they have not changed. And since the heavens will attend as long on us, you've been, dear friend, precipitate and pragmatical. And look what happens, for time is nothing if not amenable. The shooting stars in your black hair in bright formation are flocking where so straight so soon. Come, let me wash it in this big tin basin, battered and shiny like the moon.
0: Lindsay, um, what do you notice in Merrill's reading? Um, just first oh, of gosh. all, before we dive into that third stanza.
1: Um, well, uh, you know, you, you, uh, primed me for it by talking about accents but i just love that his, yeah. his accent where he's uh where you look what happens <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: he kind of drops a syllable there um his, that mid-atlantic you
0: know, sort of moneyed accent yeah it's
1: so amazing i used to have like on my ipod ages ago a recording of him reading the black swan and it would just kind of come up in shuffle rotation um and, and then suddenly there'd be merrill going the black swan and like you know mm. his, his i would listen to his voice forever um
0: for for people who haven't heard um, Bishop read before, if if we'd had a recording of her reading this poem, it would have sounded very different. For I think from what we just heard from Merrill, right? Bishop sort of claimed to hate to read her poems, and she read like it, right? So <laughs> she read like she was trying to get through it. Her readings tended to be very flat. Having said that, I love them. Whereas Merrill. Um, is often celebrated as being a very expressive and kind of dramatic reader. And yes, one in this sort of accent. So say, say more Lindsay about what you, what you just heard in the recording we played.
1: Oh, well I was, I I also love Bishop's. I also love Bishop's reading because I think she reads, she reads very simply. Like she doesn't, Mm -hmm. she doesn't perform. Um, Mm -hmm. She just reads what's on the page. Um, whereas Merrill, I think you can hear the way his voice modulates, um, especially since we want to focus on this last stanza. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the way his voice kind of modulates um, when when the palm moves um, from the kind of interrogative to the inter- in, in, inter- interrogative, from the, yes, to the mm. imperative um, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um You know, he's like, um, and he's, he's playing up the, and I think in that same reading, he talks about this poem um, as, um, you know, as a gay love, as the gay love poem that it is. And he's, mm-hmm. he's playing up the, um, you know, the intimacy there at the end. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. 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 No, that's that that's that's beautifully said. Um, so so one thing I I'm just now sort of n- noticing as though for the first time, though, I'm sure I had recognized it in some way earlier. And this is a poem, like I say, that I that I love. This is a poem, in fact, that I once had a friend, a very dear friend, ask me to read a poem at her wedding and, and invite me to choose the poem that I would read at the wedding. And this was the poem I, I chose. I remember it led to a a, um, a moment in the, at the wedding reception when a, a drunken wedding guest accosted me. It's sort of like the rhyme of the ancient mariner, except it doesn't go that way. Uh, uh, accosted me and said, "What was the shampoo?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, what do you mean?" Was, I guess I guess it didn't seem clear enough to him. Um, but it's a poem I love. It's a poem I've taught. Um, and and right now, what I'm noticing is, so the shoot the shooting stars in your black hair. I guess easy to see how that's a a lovely kind of figurative description of streaks of gray that are forming in someone's hair. And we can think about what it would mean to refer to a lover's gray hair as shooting stars. Um, In bright formation are flocking where suddenly there's like a second figuration that happens where if what we're talking about are streaks of gray in hair, at first they're shooting stars. And now without ever having named it, they're Birds or something mm-hmm. flocking. Mm-hmm. I mean, shooting stars don't flock. In other words,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, so straight, so soon, and now I'm wondering: is there a? Is there some? I don't know. We've talked about this as a queer love poem. What's the sudden anxiety about? Um, so straight, and and the mm-hmm. so soon makes me think that whatever we you had said i think quite rightly in the second stanza about this not being a carpe diem poem Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: now maybe there is a i don't know a kind of anxiety suddenly in the first four lines of the of that third stanza about aging or about um um, even the uh, kind of anxiety about abandonment Mm -hmm. or um you know, where are you going or are you, are you going away from me? That, that kind of those, you know, familiar feelings of, of um, jealousy and worry that can creep into even the most um, happy love affair. Um, so um, yeah, let's think about that third stanza sort of, if, if if you don't mind, or if you're willing to indulge me here as, as like the, the last two lines kind of answering in one way or another, the interrogative that's posed by the first four lines, and um, Lindsay, what do you notice about those first four lines of the th- of the third and final stanza?
1: Yeah, and that's you know, um, I think I I've been thinking about this again, thinking about this poem in, in primarily spatial terms. Right, the way the first poem, the first stanza asks you to look. Starts by looking down, presumably at the at the lichens on the rocks, and then takes you um, by by thinking about time, takes you up to think about the moon. Um, and this one, this one also, it does something like that motion, although in a different way, because um, because what we're being asked to track, at least figuratively, is the motion of something across the sky. <laughs>
2: right. um,
1: you know, shooting stars. Um, birds, uh, something about that makes me think, I think bright formation makes me think of a constellation. Yeah, um, and beautiful. and then the constellation flocking makes me think of, um, of, of a whole like constellation of stars taking flight at once, like a flock of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and somehow all of those images, all of which occur in the sky and have to do with, um, you know, with things moving, <laughs> things moving yeah. in the sky um, is, uh uh and and quickly right there's a lot of speed i think and that and and the the question so straight so soon also seems to respond to the images of of of, um of quickness um Mm. with you know we were talking about disappearance quickness with which things are perhaps um either changing or moving or disappearing right um and um and 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 that seems I see what you're saying. I think about, about the anxiety in that stanza, but it also seems to be so beautiful. Oh um, yeah.
2: To me yeah. That,
1: yeah, that that I guess I, I get swept away um, by this. What what seems to me to be this kind of image that changes from stars to constellations to birds and and to be all of them at once.
0: I don't um, think I had ever noticed anxiety there right. <laughs> until You're just right. now, and so maybe this is um, saying something more about my mental state today.
1: Poems do this, right? They change every time you read them. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> they're so slippery. Um, but right now, I guess I'm thinking about about the beauty and the speed um, of those first. Um, of those first lines. And then the way the answer to that is, um, is something very solid. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, ordinarily, I guess one would feel um, at least in our culture, one is sort of trained to feel um, disappointed or anxious about one's own hair going gray or a lover's hair going gray or something. But here, of course, it's that the signs of aging that are, uh, precisely the things that are being valorized and celebrated
2: mm-hmm.
0: as beautiful um, by the by the lover. Um, and also, you know one thing I hear in that Merrill reading is if there is a kind of rising anxiety or even creeping anxiety that comes into the articulation of that question in the first four lines of that last stanza, the you know that characteristic Bishop, M dash that begins the penultimate mm-hmm. line. You know, Bishop loves a dash, and maybe not quite as much as Emily Dickinson, but she she loves a dash. Um, Marks a sort of um, it's as though the poet has taken a breath, sort of deep breath, and there's a kind of decisive resolve about it. Uh, okay, so there's this heavenly stuff going on now I'm going to bring us right down to the kind of homely and everyday and practical and um, decisive.
1: And it's also, you know, it's also an address um, an address or a, 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 a loving command, right. To the, to the loved one, to the beloved, um, at this, yeah. at the end, you know, that the, re- perhaps it is like the response to, to the anxiety is to say to the person you love, like, come, come here, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, come here, let me wash your hair, which is a wonderful, uh, a yeah. wonderful response, I think. And, and also to the, these questions of, of, of time and motion and scale and, yeah. and, and, and the place of, of um of the of human the human experience of time in the greater scale of of the way time works, right? Um is to to like like it really is a poem about um on some level like or it had a poem that has its head in the in the stars by the end and then yeah. you know, and then um the way that concludes um in this poem at least is is you know to say to like kind of um
0: well, the heavens come down to earth, yeah. right? Yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But it's picturing, you know, picturing this basin, which is also then it goes back. It Bishop isn't done; like it goes back up to the moon at the end, but yeah. <laughs> um, it settles there with the, yeah, with the. With yeah. The well, we
0: begin with lichens, and we end with a basin that's like. I mean, I I don't know if I wonder if Bishop is interested in a pun on lichen at any point in this poem. You know, the way way we liken one thing uh, to another. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
2: Um,
0: But, um, but right at the end, it's the, um, the moon is present. The moon is is the last word of the poem.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm a famous lover of the moon. (laughs) It's it's like one of my (laughs) things. And I think Bishop was too, but here that, 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 what that word signifies at the end is, is, um, a figurative description of of a of a very earthly thing of the basin in which the hair is washed, and it's a battered, and sh- so it's it's sort of weather worn and lived in. Um, as moons go. Yeah, right? it's the same. It's
1: it's it's a similar the, it's a metaphor that does very similar work. It works in parallel to changing the black hair into shooting stars, right? The yeah. black hair with the shooting stars the tin basin yeah. is the moon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that echo or that kind of mirroring of metallic silver surfaces in each other is really, is, is just in itself. Like I could, I think we could wow. spend forever thinking about the, about the way the silvers um, the, the, the respective silvers and grays are working in this poem.
0: We shortcut. Sure um, but, but, uh, but unfortunately we're gonna, we're, we're almost at an hour here and we should probably um, we should probably end in a minute. You, you had said something earlier, and maybe this can be a place to end Lindsay um, about how you loved um, that tactic of the, this big tin basin at the end. Um, Is there in that some kind of implication that the love poem itself is the uh, container in which, or the, the vessel in which the act of care is performed? Like it's the speech act or the poem itself that is the, um, the place where love is performed. I
1: I think that's such a, that's such a beautiful way of, of thinking about it. And I think it makes sense. um, It makes sense when thinking, when, you know, when we think about this little, this little poem, which is, you know, it is, it's pretty short. Um, in uh, for the most part, it, yeah, it seems pretty simple. It seems like a kind of homely ob- like most of Vicious. a little
0: battered, it's like, a little like, battered, but it's yeah, also shiny, battered,
1: but also shiny. Um, <laughs> and okay. that that contains within it, um, or that reflects within it, or that you know, um, takes things and turns them into motion. I think that's right, I, I yeah. Like that
0: yeah, you know, it's also it's a poem that plays with long lines and short lines and, um, <laughs> and the effect of that sometimes if you sort of look at the poem and turn your head sideways is to make the stanzas seem a little basin like. Um,
1: oh, I never even thought about that.
0: Yeah, I don't want to see shape poems everywhere after our, uh, my, our Christmas tree episode, but um, but maybe I'm beginning to with Merrill on the brain now. Um, well, Lindsay Turner, um, thank you so much for this conversation. I really had um, a blast talking with you about this poem. And, um, and I want to thank everybody for making it this far and listening to us. Um, uh, please remember, um, to, uh, follow rate review the podcast. Um, I've got some terrific episodes in the works and I can't wait to share them with you all. Take care everyone.
2: Thank you, Kamran. This was fun.
0: My pleasure.